that was a pretty good introduction. Skip over my introduction. But I want to start by saying thank you so much for having us, for having me here today. It's really great to see what God is doing in different parts of the city. It's, it's always overwhelming for me when I meet brothers and sisters that are, like, dedicated to the cause. And, and I'm, I've met so many of you this morning. And, I'm, and, again, it's such a privilege to be here and to, honestly, I'm super humbled to bring a word because I'm learning a lot about this stuff still worship and God and discipleship and all these fun things. But yeah, my name is Melody. I'm 28. I just turned 28. I'm okay. Everything's okay. Um, it's a good age. I'm, I'm so blessed. Like, uh, like Pastor Joe said, we're, um, we're at Trinity. My husband and I, my husband's doing a wonderful work in worship there. And I'm in, in, involved at the Bible College. Um, the next slide shows a, a bit of like a picture of my some of my students this year. And so basically young people who desire to take a year off from the pressure of the world and of expectation and follow what God wants for them and really tune in to who they are, tune into what God has for them. It's called Le Réseau, which means the network. And, um, and basically students sign up for 10 months and together we intern in local churches, we travel together and minister, we do evangelism and we learn a lot about ourselves, a lot about God and a lot about community. And so we launched that program two years ago out of the Bible College and we're on to our third year. God has been faithful. We've seen waves of um, surrender from a lot of young people that are just giving their lives to the Lord and are going on mission, are taking on God's call for their life, and it's all super exciting stuff. And so if you're a young person and you're interested in this kind of stuff, come and see me, and we could talk about it later. And if you're an older person and you're interested about this stuff, come and see me, and we could talk about it later. We good? Okay, cool. Um, so this morning, um, oh, and, and you guys should know, I guess this is a really interesting topic to talk about. We're going to talk about worship. Um, I worship. I thought it was technological, you know, like iPhone, i stuff. I'm not really good at this stuff anymore. But I worship. Anyways, it's, we're going to talk about worship. And worship and music is a big part of my life, of my relationship with my husband. Actually, we met when we were 20 years old. And get this, he was like, he was into bands and he was like, he's pretty hardcore. And Nathaniel was like, hardcore really cute um that's beside the point um but he was he was you know looking for someone to join the band and we were super young and uh one day we met but this was a different kind of band than than I know what his his past had been pretty pretty rock and roll kind of stuff and the Lord had prompted and put it on his heart to pursue God and pursue worship and Nathaniel has an incredible gifting in worship as well I've learned I've learned a lot from him but uh, it was interesting because when we met it was in the context of a worship band sort of um it was called the Valley of Ella and that's the valley where David beat Goliath side note and uh, what I what really attracted me to Nathaniel was his heart for worship that there was something deeper than the surface that there was something flowing that there was something moving and it was something that that really res resonated in my life because it was such a big part of my heritage in my life and and it was interesting and since then I mean among other things worship has been such a important part of our life we do write music uh, we do worship at church but more than that it's in the background and in, in the background of our life where nobody sees that we've learned so much about worship and so to be able to talk about the little that I know is, is really humbling. And so I'm just going to pray and we're going to get right into the word. Um, yeah, Lord, may you speak your truths this morning. It's all about you. And Holy Spirit, we really invite you and welcome you 
to do your work the way no one else can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's just, let's just, you know, let's, uh, let's open this floor up for one second. So when we talk about worship, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Let's go. Singing. Great. Prayer. Excellent. God. Yeah. Or other things. Go ahead. Yeah. It encompasses love for God. Excellent. Anybody else? Ooh, open up, up your heart. That's super deep. That's amazing. Yeah, worship is, is, is a term that us as Christians have automatically associated with our experience in the church, maybe, or um, especially growing up in the church. Who here is, like, is, is under 25 and has grown up in the church? Yeah, brothers and sisters. Same here. My dad's a pastor. My parents were missionaries. I mean, I thought I figured it all out. And uh, we often associate worship with music. Um, but worship is also something that happens outside of the church. I mean, you know, the, the Lord even said, you know, first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. No, that's not the first commandment. You will have no other gods. That's the first commandment. Um, but all that to say that, that God knew that there was possibility for us to worship outside of his kingdom. But Jesus invites us to worship in his kingdom, and there's something powerful and beautiful that happens when we engage in that. So we're going to read out of John chapter 4 this morning, and we've got, this, we've got the text up on the screen, so I'll just go ahead. Here we go. Jesus had to pass through Samaria on his way to Galilee. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied at he, as, um, as he had with his journey, as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will never will be everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water i'm sure jesus laughed a little bit at that moment i would have and then he says Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming um, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, 
and his worshipers must spirit in the, must, must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Interesting. So before we move on to the next slide, let's go back one step. Yeah, keep the suspense. So we're going to explore this two parts of, uh, in the next couple of minutes, I'd like to explore two parts of, I guess, my message. And the first would be, what do we take out of this text? What is Jesus teaching us, teaching the Samaritan woman about worship? And the second part is, I like to get practical. I like to take things that I learn and be like, okay, so what does this mean in my life? How can I make this practical? So we're going to go into that after. But first, let's see, what is it that Jesus is exposing when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman? This text, like, I love this passage. Every time I read it, it seems I'm getting something new from it. Does that happen to you? Yeah, okay. It's not just, it does happen to you? Okay. Um, that's great, because that's the living word of God. Um, but, and often I've, I've, I've observed and I've read this passage from the, the position of the Samaritan woman, from the position of Jesus, and, um, interacting with the Samaritan and all this, but this was actually really the first time I read this text and really get, like centered in on worship in this whole passage. I know we often talk about spirit and truth, and we're going to touch on that a little bit. But let's see what we can pull out of this text. Here's what we know. Worship is about real life. It touches our life. If Jesus chose to speak to a harlot, a woman who had more than one husband, who was kind of known to be, you know, in more than one relationship and illicit relationships, it's because he knew that this topic, topic touches everyone in all parts of their life. Worship is not a mythical practice that happens once a week. It's not something that, you know, we engage in musically once in a while. Worship has to do with adultery. It has to do with hunger. It has to do with pain. It has to do with joy. Worship has to do with all parts of real life. And so Jesus is sitting by this well, and he's, he's weary from the journey. He's hot and sweaty and thirsty, and he decides, okay, even now, I'm going to seek someone to worship God. I'm going to choose a Samaritan woman, a harlot, a woman that really no one ever wanted to speak with, an adulteress. And I will show my disciples the worship that my father seeks and how he seeks it in the midst of real life from the least worthy. It's about real life, real people. It touches me. It touches you. So that's the first thing we know. Here's the second thing that we know about worship. It transcends culture. It transcends trends and people groups, ethnicities, excuses, and anything else that you want. Because here's what we know. If we look in context of, 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 of the Samaritans and the Jews and we look in history, we know that the Samaritans and the Jews, the Bible says, they did not get along. And this comes from centuries of animosity where... If we look at the history of the Samaritans, essentially it's when the Jews were taken into exile in 729 before Christ. Not bad. Um, when the Jews were taken into exile, the people that were over them, whose name I forgot, it was a great empire. Anybody? 
the Syrians, the Assyrians, that's it. Oh, yeah, it's easy. Um, the Assyrians took over the Jews and then started, you know, um, having children with them. And that really, in the, in the eyes of the Jews, kind of broke their bloodline, if you want. And so the Jews of the modern day of Jesus saw Samaritans as this impure race that they did not want to associate with. And they, for them, it was like, they were, they were just not good. Um, and so that's why there was animosity. And people would not even travel through each other's territories just because of, the, of that tension that existed between these two cultures. But despite the animosity of centuries between the Samaritans and the Jews, Jesus addresses the topic of worship to this Samaritan woman. And what does that tell us? That tells us that the topic, the subject, all of that beautiful um, element, which is worship, transcends culture, gender, trend, and all of that. And so I love, I, and just a side note on that, I love that it's intergenerational. I love that there's, there's, there's no competition Worship is worship. And um, side note, some of you may have suffered, like me, sometimes this tension between generations. And there's something beautiful that happens in each of our generation, and that is we associate with a music style, we associate with, um, uh, you know, songs and all that, and that's great. But we got to look past that um, and, real and realize that worship is something that unites generations and not divides and doesn't create all that. So I just love that Jesus, you know, makes that point in this conversation. The next thing that we know, and here, and, and this is something that Jesus kind of addresses with the Samaritan woman, is that it goes beyond location. You know, it says, our ancestors worship on this mountain, said the Samaritan, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she's, the Samaritan woman is talking with Jesus about the place of worship. And she's saying, this is the mountain where we do it. And you guys say it's over there. And Jesus, like, in the next sentence, says, have it in my notes. He kind of just calls it out and says, eh, he doesn't even touch on that. He goes right to the heart of worship and talks about spirit and truth. truth and sa says there's no place there's no location Jesus's response to the Samaritan woman helps us understand that true worship is irrelevant of location you can even worship in a movie theater eh? love it love it another thing that I see in Jesus's encounter with this Samaritan woman is the, is this that it's not quite always what you expect Here's what the Bible says, what, what, um, what Jesus says to Samaritan women in their conversation. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I think it's so awesome. This is our Jesus. Jesus is, you know, he's so cool. And the woman comes to the well seeking something. Uh, and, and actually she's, and Jesus just turns the table and is everything she ever needs. And I think that sometimes when we enter into a time of worship, if you will, a space of worship, we like feel this, if we feel this, 
this, this need to bring, this need to bring our praise and our sacrifice and our worship. And that is amazing. And that is an essential part of that interaction. However, Jesus surprises us that when we expect to come and bring, he's the one who comes and brings more. And it's not quite always what we expect. Worship is, is a very intimate exchange of giving something worth. And when we worship, we're, we're attributing worth, worthship to God. And God is so good and so gracious that he invites us to draw from him instead. And I love that about worship. And we start wrapping our mind around this. We're like, I want to do this forever. I do. Do you? Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, and this kind of ties in with the next point is that Jesus points it out again. It's all about what and who especially we know. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. And so Jesus challenges the woman to examine her interaction and her relationship with what she worships. And he challenges us to do the same. Do you know who you worship? Do you know? I was speaking with, 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 um, with someone lately, and we were talking about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There is a huge difference. And for years, I knew a lot about God until I was 22, and then it hit me that I didn't know him. And it was crazy. And I, then that's when I, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but that's when I decided to go on, on my search for my experience with the Lord. I said, I am going to find him and I'm going to seek him. I need some answers here because I'm feeling quite empty. Because that's what happens when we worship something that we do not know. It's empty. It has no value from the heart. But when we worship who we know, and when we recognize everything he represents in our lives, oh, it's a different experience. So it's really, well, here's what we know from what Jesus is saying. He, he says it better than me. He, it's all about who and what you know. And from there can flow the true worship of your heart. I'm just kind of pulling out, like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of exposing what the Bible is saying. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to go a little bit further. Um, and the next thing that we see is that Jesus casts a compelling vision. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. Can you imagine for one second that you're the Samaritan woman and you've never heard anything like this before? I'd have been like, who is this guy? <laughs> what is he saying? He's going into depths that I don't think she ever even knew existed. And, and I think that's, that's similar for us sometimes is that um, we kind of underestimate Jesus and the depths of what he can generate and create and what kind of compelling vision he can cast in our life that we can't even imagine. And Jesus invites us into a new dimension of worship and a, and a, and a, and a deeper interaction with the divine. We're going to explore this spirit and truth in one second. But when he's sitting next to that woman, he says words that she has never heard before and he brings her into a new depth. And there's something deep that happens, something that stirs, that changes her life forever. 
And I just have it on my heart to say, this is not in my notes, but I really feel to encourage some of you today, this morning. Um, remember that God is a God of creation and creativity. And I know that in my life, <laughs> um, I've often hit walls of complacency because I wasn't impressed by God anymore. And just I was just kind of taking things very much for granted. And it's, it's a terrible place to be because it sucks. <laughs> it's empty and it's cold. And, but I want to encourage you and tell you that God is a creative, innovative God. He can create oasis in the desert. He can create things that you have never experienced with him before and draw close to him and he's going to generate things that are going to blow your mind. I just wanted to encourage you with that and often when I've asked God to do that, simply saying, God, would you please create something that I've never experienced before? Would you surprise me, impress me? He does not miss an opportunity to show up and to show off because he's amazing. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. So that's what we pull out from this text so far. I mean, there's definitely more, but these six points, that it's about real life. It transcends culture, trends, and location in groups. It transcends location. It goes beyond location. It's not always what we expect. It's about who we know. And Jesus invites us into a compelling vision of spirit and truth. Now let's look at that for a second. Spirit and truth. What does that mean? Here's how I understand it. And I like to take passages, other passages from the Bible to kind of cross-reference and see, okay, Jesus spoke about water and he spoke about life and fountains of life and living water. What does the Bible say about these things? Well, let's look at Proverbs 13, 14. It says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Let's read that all together out loud, all right? Here we go. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. So perhaps what Jesus is referring to, he's saying that, the wisdom that he gives satisfies the soul and turns a person into a fountain of life. Is that what Jesus was saying? Perhaps this water symbolizes his teaching. Truth. This idea of truth and spirit. Spirit and truth. We're talking about truth. We're exploring scripture. We're exploring the truth of God's word. And how that, I'm just kind of repeating myself to make, to make sure it's understood. I believe that's what Jesus is pointing to when he's talking about truth. He's talking about this satisfying word that turns us into a fountain of life. So let's look now at spirit. And here's another passage. I find that this passage is the closest parallel to what Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman. In John 14, uh, I'm sorry, in John 7, it says... Jesus stood up and proclaimed, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. So before, before I continue, um, it speaks of drinking. And there's this action of a flow. A lot like when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, he's like, there's a, there's a pouring in and there's a flowing out. There's, an, there's a movement there that happens. John makes plain in this passage that Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God's Spirit in your life that takes away your frustrated 
thirst, that soul thirst that we have, and turns you into a person that overflows with life for others instead of sucking up people's life around you like dry soil. So this passage speaks of a drinking in and a flowing out. The author here, just to go back um, on the pat on the slide before, the author here makes plain that Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. Great. Um, so probably both these answers are true. That Jesus' teaching and truth on one side satisfies our thirst and makes us a fountain of life, and how the Holy Spirit satisfies our thirst and makes us a fountain of life. Jesus kept the Word and the Spirit together. Here's another, here's another verse that I that I that in John 14 it says. Jesus said it, the spirit whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. And the next slide, the spirit and the word unite to satisfy our thirst and make us a fountain of life. And just like what Jesus said in John 26, how the spirit whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. We see that there is a correlation between truth and spirit. There is, an, there is, there is a foundational pillar to our faith that is truth. And there is an active living ingredient that quenches thirst and brings it all to life. And that is spirit. When we come to Christ to drink, what we drink is truth. And this is a quote I got from John Piper as well. But not dead, powerless facts. When we come to Christ, we draw from his truth, but it's not dead, powerless facts. The spirit and the word unite to quench our thirst and make us a fountain of life. So I think that's interesting. When we understand that, that our worship is an interaction with the divine based on truth and activated by the spirit. That is our life of worship. That is the basis of it. So from that, and from all of that, I like to pull out principles that I have, <laughs> I have learned. And if I dare bring them here this morning, it's because I have experienced every one of them and I can taste my words. Um, yeah, let's get to it. So I, I lead worship along with my husband and I've uh, been doing this for many, many years. Actually, because my dad was a pastor, actually, let's go back one. Keep the suspense. We'll go back one. There it is. Okay, pause on that. But uh, so my father being a pastor, when I was... Uh, we moved to Canada from Europe. My, my parents were missionaries in Malta. Anybody know where Malta is? Yeah, Paul shipwrecked there in Acts 28. I was born there. My parents were missionaries there. And when I was about two years old, we moved to Canada where my parents were involved in the Italian Pentecostal churches of Canada. When I was 11, my father left his associate position as a pastor in a church in Montreal North and um, took on a church in Ville-Saint-Pierre called Rockfield. And so that's where my journey in ministry started because the church was going through a really hard time and um, there was like no worship leader, there was no youth group, there was no children's ministry, there was like, there was not much. And so our family went in there and my father has a great apostolic calling um, and, and the Lord was calling us there and that's where I tested the waters. I did projection, high five. The best ministry. 
Um, it's the best starting point because, you, you know, it's, it's an amazing... Thank you for your service, Sarah, um, and everyone else who does PowerPoint. So I did that, I did... And one of the things I got involved in was worship because we needed a musician, we needed someone to sing, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try it out. And I was 14 when I started, and the journey went on until now, and I can tell the difference... When I finally understood these principles, it shifted my worship life. It, it shifted how I understood my place in worship. So let's look at some of these. And if they resound with you, don't worry, because we're human. <laughs> we're learning. Um, but I hope it encourages you. So the first principle would be, don't depend on someone else's worship experience to lead your worship encounter. And so sometimes we depend on, on a worship leader and we depend on, you know, good musicians. Or I don't know what you depend on. Maybe you depend on nothing. And if that's the case, good. But I know for me, a long time, depending on how well the, the worship leader led me, that would tell me how great my worship experience would be. And I, and I, and now looking back, I really realized that's a lot of pressure on the worship leader. First of all, second of all, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a real difference between experience and encounter. I have nothing wrong with the word experience. Actually, experiences are great. However, worship is not limited to an experience, right? And sometimes when, we're, when we talk about worship in church, it's like, how good was worship this morning? <laughs> sometimes worship, according to those criteria, is really bad, you know? But asking how good was my worship, how real was my encounter, and putting that against the idea that your encounter is dictated by someone else's leading experience. Uh, so I'd like to challenge that. And you know what, actually, the first time I really learned that, so I was in discipleship school. So a little bit, uh, a program similar to what I run now out of the Bible college, but I lived in Amsterdam for three years. It's, it was supposed to be one year where I would give one year of my life to God, and it's been six all the way through to today. But I spent three years there where I did a training in theology, and also it was very practical ministry. So we were going to churches, we were going in the streets, and we were preaching the gospel, learning to preach the gospel, learning to worship. And it was really hard to get to that real place in my life where I was shedding all of the rituals I had set up, where I was shedding all of the preconceptions. And so one day, our leader, my leader comes up to our team and says, okay, tonight we're going to be going to this church. She'd been working with that program for many years, so she knew this church. And she told us, and it was such a great lesson. This woman was an unbelievable worship leader. I drew a lot from her. And she sat us down and said, I want to challenge you guys tonight to worship your God, no matter what. And we're like, why is she telling us this? Like, of course we're going to worship our God. We always worship our God. But she's like, no, 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 no. You're going to understand when you get there. Don't be distracted by the experience. We're like, what is she? Turns out we get there, and I mean, it was, it was really bad. Like, like, like I'm talking about... In, in, in how it was packaged, let's say. I'm not talking about simple. I'm just talking that it was, like, chaotic. There was a lot going on. It was, like, it was too much going on, but their hearts were in the right place. And that day, 
we, I mean, actually, I should talk for myself. I learned what it was like to push past my physical experience and draw into worship with God. And that leads me actually to my second point. My second principle that I've learned is what you see in here is less important than what God sees and hears. And in that moment, what I realized was that it's really not about how great this sounds. It's really about how I engage in genuine worship to my God in a corporate setting. And so, and so um, all that to say that I've been in spaces where the music was so bare or so bad. I'm going to be honest. I'm a musician, okay? Yet I walked out of there having encountered the presence of God. And in other cases, I have been in spaces where the music was so good and it was so well put together, and yet I walked out of there merely entertained. And so it doesn't have to be one or the other. I believe that it could be a combination of heart and excellence. But if I had to choose one, I would definitely choose the heart. Because that's where everything comes out of. And God looks at that. God looks at our heart. He looks at our heart. And what we see and hear is less important than what God sees and hears when he looks at us, when he receives his worship from us. And when we are able to tune into that, it changes everything. It's a mega game changer. You could be having the party of your life in silence. <laughs> And that is, that is what it is to learn to go beyond what is seen, beyond what is heard, and go into the heart of things. Worship from the heart. Next. Understanding worship as a ritual versus worship as a lifestyle. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time on your own that you really enjoyed a time of worship? When's the last time, maybe recently, maybe this morning, that's awesome, continue. <laughs> but when's the last time you genuinely enjoyed that space and that moment? I want to I share an, an experience that I had. I was in a season, it wasn't even that long ago, it must have been in the past year. I was in a season where I was a little bit saturated of all this church stuff, if you want. All like, oh, and I was saturated by by music and worship and all of these things and I was like oh I'm just so tired of this like and I and I mean I go through I'm being totally honest right now okay I could be honest here this is a safe place yeah okay and I know I'm, I'm human and glory to God for all the great things but in that season man I was not having a very good time and I was avoiding worship like I was avoiding worshiping God even on my own I was like I don't I'm tired. I'll worship God on Sunday, I guess, because right now. And God was prompting me and prompting me. And I felt the Holy Spirit tugging on my heart and saying, meet me in the spare room in 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, no, I know what's going to happen. We're going to have a talk. And I don't want to hear it, God. Like, I know I need to worship. And, I need, uh, and the Holy Spirit was like, stop freaking out. Meet me in the spare room. We have a spare room in our apartment. Meet me in the room in 20 minutes. That's all. So 20 minutes comes, I go in the room, and I'm like, okay, I bring my Spotify, I bring my Bible, I bring my journal, all the tools that I usually, you know, when I'm listening to music and I'm writing and I'm reading the Bible. And I'm in that place, and I'm like, all right, God, let's, I'm going to worship you. I'm, I'm going to sit down on this couch. And then you know what the Lord tells me? It was revolutionary in my life. He says, just 
have fun. Do whatever you want, but be with me right now. And whatever you do will be an act of worship to me. You don't have to pray. You don't have to speak. Don't have to even listen to music. Just be with me. And I was like, excuse me? What? Did, what? And he was like, no, I, I'm, I don't need your music. I don't need your voice. I just want you to worship me with who you are. And you know what I did? I grabbed my markers and my crayons, and I grabbed, like, sheets of paper, and I started drawing like a child. And Okay, well, I, I like to draw right? I do that for fun. And I'm like, God's giving me the green light to do something that I enjoy in his presence. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's Legos. Uh, maybe it's a puzzle. Maybe it's, I don't know, looking at like scrapbooking, whatever. But whatever that is, God was inviting me to just spend time with him doing what I like to do. And I sat there with my blank sheet of paper coloring like a kid in the presence of my God. And I was like, this is awesome. And I felt like that was my worship. Now, I'm really simplifying stuff. This was, an, this was a, something I learned in my relationship with God. But what I realized was there's a difference between ritual and lifestyle. Making it be a part of something that you love. And speaking about that, just uh, before I conclude, I'm, I'm reaching the end of what I want to share. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that posture is something that is so important in our worship experience or encounter or lifestyle posture is what we put out physically and we underestimate that a lot but I believe that our physical posture represents our spiritual stance and sometimes we got to stand and sometimes we got to kneel and sometimes we got to lay face down before God in reverence sometimes we got to lift our hands sometimes we got to shake our hands sometimes we got to jump and dance and sometimes we got to stay still but regardless worship has to do with our posture and our physical posture has to do with our heart posture and i want to challenge you guys to see what happens when you start engaging in your in corporate worship in a way that expresses your heart it gets so much more real and it leaves the, the Holy Spirit even more space to move because then we're really being open and vulnerable and honest. And lastly, I just want to touch real quick on the idea of corporate and personal worship. That's the next point. You have a role in your personal worship and your corporate worship. Basically, Sometimes we think praise and worship is that whole musical 20 minutes that we do. But if we had to break that down, praise is something that is seen or heard. It's something that I declare. Hey, guys, this person's so cool because they know how to teach really well, whatever. I'm praising that person so that others will see and hear how great this person is. Worship is way more intimate. It's a lot more personal with God. And we have room for that in our personal time with the Lord, but we, there is so much room for that in the corporate body. Do not underestimate the power in the unity of worshiping God expressively or quietly together. We all have a role in that. Because God does call us into a personal life with him, but God also does call us into community. And that there is, there is beauty and there's power in community. How many times have I stood in my congregation weak and weary but hearing the praises of my brothers and sisters gave me courage. It gave me hope until I was ready to, to fight again. And, and I don't know who else needed to, to be part of that corporate. But let's be that body. And as we worship together, we all have a role and a part to lift our praises to God. I think I have one last part, one last thought that 
And last thing is criticism sets a tone for shallow worship. And maybe I shouldn't have finished with that point. I should have put it earlier. But, but it's just the last thing I wanted to encourage us is let's be careful of the critical nature we could have sometimes because that sets a tone for shallow worship. And I mean, Nathaniel and I are both musicians. We do, we do have this element that is like we like excellence and there's nothing wrong with that. But let's be careful that our criticism does not block us from worshiping. And let, yeah, let's, let's be gracious with one another. Let's be gracious with, with our leaders. And let's just enter into true worship. So as the band comes up, I've got some questions that are going to be up on the screen. And maybe taking 30 seconds, and maybe you want to you write them down and maybe reflect on them right now. But asking yourself these questions, when's the last time that you spent time drinking in and flowing out in worship? Are you open to encountering his presence regardless of physical influences, what you see or what you hear? Have you ever caught yourself being critical in worship? And how did this impact your encounter? And what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Um, so what, during, that, during that time, uh, we're just going to set up. I think we're going to go into communion and part two. But let's take just a few seconds to reflect on these questions.